Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. morning everybody. I'd like to thank Oli for uh, doing that seed fund update, not just giving us a call to give, but actually telling us a story. This seed fund is part of our history. History. Now, how many of you here consider yourself history buffs? History buffs, show of hands. You really like reading history? Okay, I see like three hands. Okay. Now, I want you to think back to the time where you were in school, if I could have my slide up when you had to endure history lessons, right? How did you find those? For some of you, maybe history lessons uh, were the place you discovered the cure for insomnia. Uh, for others, this was a source of eternal nightmares. For me, I remember uh, history was all about memorizing things, and I was a very pragmatic student, so for my old levels, uh, I remember every six-mark question in history, you have to write three points. Each point is two marks. And I made sure for every question I had those three points, no more, no less. Hard disk space is limited, so must conserve. So I was very pragmatic. But as I grew a bit older, I realized that history is really a lot more complicated than that and a lot more beautiful. Uh, today, we are going to look at uh, Daniel 11. Now, if you have been following this in, uh, in your CG, some of you are really uh, terrified by this chapter, Daniel 11 because uh, it's very long, uh, but it's all about what really happened in history. History is God's story. Now, if you've been with us in Covenant for a while, you know we've been journeying through the book of Daniel, and now we're really at the last lap, right? This is Daniel's final vision. We're in the last lap. We're going to come to an end as the year draws to a close. Um, and like I said, it's a long chapter, so uh, uh, Daniel 11, it is difficult to read, I admit, uh, but very rewarding when we dig into it. Okay, so today we will take uh, a thematic approach. Uh, that's one of the best ways to get into Daniel 11. Um, and over the next two Sundays, we'll do that as well. So the first theme we look at is the theme of history. Let's get right into it. The archangel Gabriel says to Daniel, and this is like the preface to the vision. Right? Before he gives this long vision, he says, and now I will show you the truth. And the verses that follow actually are remarkably true. Right? It's a very long chapter all the way up to 45, but to verse 39, it's all very, very detailed and historically accurate. Uh, so this is one of the features of this text. It's, it's amazing. If you take your Bible in one hand and a history textbook of ancient Greece in another, you can cross-check all the facts. They match up. I'll give you an example. Right? It talks about this king in Daniel 11 verse 4, whose kingdom is broken and divided towards the four winds of heaven. And this is none other than the famous Alexander the Great, who died age of 32. His kingdom was divided, passed out among four powers. That's why it says the four winds of heaven. So it's fascinating. This and many other uh, things actually correspond to history. But you're asking me, eh, Okay, I, I, I get it, it's historically accurate, but so what? 
right? This is a Greek account of Greek kings and wars. But I'm a Singaporean. I live in the 21st century. And I came to church not to learn history. I came to learn something about my spiritual life. So what does this have to do with me? That's a fair question. So to answer the question, I'm going to offer us three simple reflections on this account from Daniel 11, this historical account. Now, this is a long chapter, like I said, and if I were to go through in detail, some of you love going through verse by verse. If we do that for Daniel 11, I can guarantee you, your insomnia will be cured. Okay, so we will not do that. I'll focus on a few stories uh, that really stand out for me. It's very interesting, actually. Um, And then we will get into something practical, okay? I like to preach practical things because I don't want all that we hear on Sunday to just stay up here. Uh, I want it to transform our lives, our hearts. Okay, so these are my three reflections we start here. The first reflection on history is that God's hand may seem hidden. Second, God's people may be downtrodden. These are facts of history and we'll see it in the text. And finally, God remains sovereign. He still does in spite of all the chaos and mess. We're going to look at these one at a time. Firstly, that God's hand seems hidden. Now, when we look at the historical account of Daniel 11, actually, you crack open any uh, secular history book, you find that actually God kind of plays a side role. He seems to be hidden. And the key word here is seems. Because as God's people, we know that He's there, isn't it? We know He's there. We know He's working. But ask yourself now, in your own life sometimes, we can't trace the hand of God when there's chaos, when there's pain. And let alone in the unfolding of history, it's hard to tell what God is doing sometimes. Now, I found something interesting uh, in Daniel 11. And this is how we sometimes study a text to get a sense of what it's talking about. We do a word study, right? Um, And the word God, so big G and small g, happens 10 times in this chapter. You don't believe me, go check it out yourself. Uh, but you can divide it up among God big G and God small g. The interesting thing is that God small g is the predominant form eight times out of ten. Uh, God big G refers to the Lord that we have worshipped and sung to this morning. God with a small g can refer to a number of things, including in verse 8, it talks about this king that, that carries off to Egypt gods and idols. Right, so the gods, in this case, small g refers to the idols of Egypt. Or this Greek king, we will talk about more later. His name is Antiochus Epiphanes. Right? That's a mouthful. Right? But he's this like, crazy, mad, despotic king. Um, and he said, right, I don't care about any of the other gods, small g, because I am a god above all. So the gods here refer to the Greek deities that Antiochus and his society worshipped. But where is God big G in this chapter? Strangely, he doesn't appear, it doesn't really talk about him all that much. His actions are not the focus. Instead, we find this is the focus of Daniel chapter 11. It's a story about Man, human might, cunning, political and military maneuvers and schemes, people wanting to seize power, getting frustrated by other people. 
Now we're going to see this in a story. I want to bring this story out. I'm very excited to, to tell this from Daniel 11, verse 5 to 7. Okay? Uh, let me read this for us. Okay, try to follow. Okay, it's a bit dense, but here we go. Then the king of the south shall be strong, but one of his princes shall be stronger than he and shall rule. And his authority shall be a great authority. After some years, they shall make an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the strength of her arm, and he and his arm shall not endure, but she shall be given up, and her attendants, he who fathered her, and he who supported her in those times. And you heard this and you're like, what is going on here? Now this passage gives you a sense of Daniel 11. Because it reads like this. Okay, it's difficult to follow because we don't know a lot of things. Who's this king of the south, for instance? Right, you think it sounds very boring, lah, but actually, let me let you in on a little secret. This is more dramatic than any K-drama you can ever watch. Okay, so here's the, the brief background. Now, Alexander the Great, we met him earlier, and four kingdoms came out of him. Two of them were called the Ptolemies and the Seleucids. The Ptolemies were called the kings of the South. Everybody say South. Because Egypt was where they ruled, and Egypt is south of Israel. So kings of the South. And the, the Seleucids were kings of the North. Everybody say North. And they ruled in the regions of Assyria and Babylon, so kind of like modern-day modern Iraq. Right? Kings of the South and North. Now, here's the time to start telling you the story and to introduce the dramatis personae. Okay. Uh, I thought about having uh, live actors, but it's just too much trouble. Okay, so you have to settle for cartoon animation, all right? Okay, so here they are. Uh, firstly, we've got Ptolemy II, he's the king of the south, and Berenice, his daughter. Then the king of the north is Antiochus II, and he has his wife, cartoon wife, Laodice. All right. So it starts with the Ptolemies and the Seleucids wanting to have an alliance, a political alliance with each other. Now, this is very common in the ancient world, and it is through a political marriage, right? Through the marriage of Berenice, the daughter, to Antiochus II, the king of the north. The slight complication in this story is that Antiochus II was already married. So, how? Tell me how. Divorce law, divorce his first wife, uh, Laodice, or poor thing, and exile her. Not just divorce, but exile, and his own son as well. Okay, so this alliance kind of works for a while, and then suddenly it falls to pieces. So, what does Antiochus do now? Reverse. He divorces Berenice, and he tries to remarry his first wife, Laodice. Now, the question to all K-drama watchers is, will this woman take this lousy man back as a husband? And the answer is... <laughs> of course not, okay? Hell has no fury like a woman scorned. So she murders him in cold blood, Antiochus II, murders Berenice, murders the servants. That's why it says that she will not retain the strength of her arm. She means Berenice. This is a very polite Hebrew way of saying she got a head chopped off. Lah. Okay? And they all die unhappily ever after. 
this is the end of the story. Okay, this is a Bible story, by the way. So I, the parents among us, uh, you probably won't tell this to your kid before they sleep. Uh. Right, this is brutal, tragic political soap opera, but it's in the Scriptures. It's in the Scriptures. And this passage from the Scriptures seems to suggest it's the powerful that get their way. The powerful come, they take what they want, they divorce who they don't like, they kill who they don't like, and God's hand, where's God in this? You read it, right? Where's God's hand in this? Absent. Seemingly absent. And in our lives, it sometimes feels like this, isn't it? We're carried along by the power brokers of the world, the Ptolemies of the world, by forces and events outside our control, bigger than us, and we can feel like this, food for a bigger predator in the ocean. This is a tiny grouper uh, in the, not just the jaws, but the stomach of this lizard fish. And a Singaporean took this photo and won an award for it. Remarkable. But it actually gives us a visual metaphor of how it can be like uh, when there are powerful human institutions and individuals that call the shots in our lives, swallow us whole. Maybe you're in that situation right now. And it's easy to believe that your hands are in the hands of these power brokers. And you're asking yourself right now, where is God in this? Okay, so that's my first uh, reflection on history. God's hand may seem hidden. The second reflection might be a bit, well, maybe equally gloomy, that God's people may be downtrodden. God's people may be downtrodden. Right, so as I told you, Daniel 11 is all about clash of kingdoms, these two great powers. It happens on a big scale. Right? But then the angelic vision giver actually narrows his focus on a tiny land right at the center, the land of Palestine. And he tells a different story, the story of God's suffering people. Suffering people. Why were they suffering because of this king I told you about, Antiochus Epiphanes. Okay, so the next story we're going to hear is about Antiochus. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, you can uh, run down your finger to Daniel 11.29. It's where the next story comes from, or you can just follow on the screen. It says, At the time appointed, he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be this time as it was before, for ships of Kittim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw and shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the Holy Covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering. And they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. Okay, again, because Daniel 11, right, this is a confusing story. It's hard to follow but we can step through it together. So firstly, the he in the story is Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, this is not the same Antiochus that you saw just now that got murdered by his wife. This is Antiochus IV. That was Antiochus II. But this guy was a power-hungry chap. He launched an attack to try to conquer Egypt, which is in the south. So it says he came into the south. Now, unfortunately for him, the ships of Kittim came against him. Some of you, what, what's that? Are these ships loaded with kittens? No, they are not. This was the 
the armada of the mighty Roman Empire. So what was happening here was that the Romans basically didn't like what he was doing in Egypt, so they sent the fleet to him, sent an envoy, told him, uh, you just go home, you balik kampong now. And so this uh, egomaniac, obviously he's enraged, he's lost face completely. I mean, it happens like that, right? If your ego's inflated and suddenly people deflate, that's, that kind of fury emerges and he decides to take his anger out on God's people trying to stay faithful to the covenant. That's why it says he takes action against the holy covenant. Right. Now there's an African proverb which says that when the elephants fight, the grass gets trampled. So God's people were like the grass. Huh? Just there. They just existed in the middle of the story, but they, they suffered the temper tantrum of this king. And what did he do? It says in these scriptures that he took away the regular burnt offering. He desecrated, tore down the temple. But to take away the offering means that he stopped them from worshipping. In fact, we know from history, many Jews got massacred under Antiochus. This is relentless uh, uh, religious persecution. But interestingly, if you look at the verse, it says also that he paid attention to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. What's going on here? There were people living in those times who forsook the Lord. They abandoned the covenant, they abandoned God because of the tremendous pressure that Antiochus was putting them under. And so as a result, he paid attention to them. He gave them more goodies and favours. Now here's the question, my friends. If we were living in those times, would we buckle? Would we buckle? Now in Singapore, we, we don't have to worry about this question because we have a government that gives us the freedom, right? You, you came here freely today, nobody stopped you. Maybe only the roadblocks, right? Nobody opposed you. We attend CG freely every week, we sing. But there are many around the world who pay a heavy price to remain faithful to the Lord. Uh, such as Christians in Myanmar. When I was studying in Trinity Theological College, uh, I met some Bible uh, teachers who came to us to learn. And that's when uh, these, these guys were from Myanmar, that's when my, my compassion for the country grew. Now, the Myanmar military targets Christians. Uh, especially in ethnic minorities such as the Chin. And this is a picture of Tan Lang Town in Chin State, Myanmar. Shelled, raised to the ground by the Myanmese. And there was a 31-year-old Baptist pastor that was living in those times. He saw the fires, he rushed to help to put out the fires. And the militia saw him and gunned him down. Like that, not enough. They saw his body there, went over to it, saw his ring finger, chopped off his ring finger, took the ring. So when the body was found, it was missing the ring finger. When you hear stories like this, my friends, does it move you to pray for our suffering brothers and sisters all around the world? Right? We're in pray for nation season, right? Does it move us to pray? Now, in history... God's people may be downtrodden and we heard also God's hand may be hidden, but God remains sovereign. How do I know this in the text? 
when you read about all the wars in Daniel 11, you've got to read to the end. You've got to read to the end. And the end comes in verse 40 to 45. And verse 40 is a transition verse. It's interesting. It starts with these words, at the time of the end. A section from verse 40 to 45 is very puzzling because like I told you, all of it matches before that matches the, the facts of history. But from 40 to 45, it suddenly doesn't anymore. And what's happening here, I think, is that there's a shift in perspective and the angel is now saying, at the time of the end, right? he's telescoping towards the end. He says, at the time of the end, what end? Antiochus is going to end. And maybe he's talking about us too. The times of the end, the end times that we, you and I are living in today. What happens at the time of the end? There will be oppressors like Antiochus, but they will meet their end. How do we know? Verse 45 says this. I'll read it for us. It says, and he, this he is Antiochus, right? He shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Yet, he shall come to his end with none to help him. There's this phrase there, palatial tents, which suggests that, wow, this guy lives in pomp and power, you know, and all the oppressors like him, you know, they, they seem to have a power that you could not possibly or humanly challenge. But there comes a time at the end where the person who tramples on the helpless becomes helpless. He shall come to his end with none to help him because God will judge. God will judge. God will judge. And he will win at the time of the end. One day, my friends, God will play this end game. And we as God's people will win at the time of the end. We will be rescued from our enemies. We will be restored. We will be healed. There will be no shadow of sin or sickness or death. And I, I'd really like us to read these words from Revelation 7. These are among some of the most beautiful and tender words in the entire Revelation. So shall we read these uh, verses from uh, Revelation 7 on the count of three? One, two, three. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is a verse that we need for our lives now, especially if there are tears in our life. This is where history is going. Today is about history. We have to look at the end, the time of the end. This is where history is going. It's his story. And when we have this as the, the picture of the end, we can keep walking. We can keep walking. But some of you will say to me, hey, look, I, I believe this. I believe this. I believe Revelation 7. But it's so far away. It's so far away. But the hurt, the pain, the confusion is real now. I, I don't see this Revelation 7 in my life. Some of you say you, your, your historical recollection that you led us in. That's the past. La. God's faithfulness is in the past. La, but now, now, now I'm struggling. 
Does history matter to me now? Here's my suggestion to us. Okay, that history matters. Just now I asked how many history buffs in this congregation. I counted three people. Okay, I'm a history buff also, so four. Okay, but even if you're not a history buff, history matters because you have a history. You have a history. A personal, spiritual history, a journey with the Lord. A life story that's written by God. Even if you're not a history buff, you must know this history. Your story. Psalm 139, very familiar to many of us. It says this. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. And every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Every moment laid out doesn't mean that God programmed us to be like robots. We are just moving along predetermined paths, no free will. It means that God knows us. He knows every moment. Every moment. Mind-blowing, isn't it? Every moment of your life. Your history is made up of these moments, but He knows the glorious ones, the, the shameful ones, all of it. He knows us and He loves us. And earlier we sang, He knows my name. He loves us. He's not so preoccupied watching over the universe, the grand universe, that he has no time to care for you. Sometimes some of us feel that. We think, I'm so small, I'm so minuscule, how could God possibly care for me? But I'm telling you, my friends, he does. He doesn't wind you up like some children's toy, just leave you to go on your own. That's not the God we worship. This verse says, every day in my life was recorded in your book. I want you to know, if you're hearing me today, your story matters to God. Can you turn to the person next to you and say, your story matters to God? And because your story matters, I want to encourage you right, to do a little spiritual exercise sometime in the next weeks or months. And this is the exercise, to chart God's story in your life. Now, it's a good time to do it as the year draws to an end and many of us slow down a bit. It's an exercise of remembering. Now, remembrance is a Christian spiritual discipline. And it's also a delight, it's a joy, because it's absolutely necessary. Most of us are spiritually forgetful, isn't it? We forget what God did for us yesterday, last week, last month, last year. We must remember. But remembering is not just recalling facts, oh, this happened I bought this house, I married this person. But remembering means recalling where was God in the midst of that? How was God's hand in all of that? Now, the reason why I say that we we might need to do this as, as we slow down is because as we remember, it's not so quick. We need time for stories, memories to surface, and emotions even. Okay, there's no magic method to this. Uh but I suggest some questions that could help. It also tells you what I'm talking about, like this charting thing. Okay, I've got five questions, okay? And those who like to take pictures of sermon slides, you can take picture after question five, okay? Don't need to take every single one, okay? After question five, you take all one shot, okay? The first 
Ask yourself. Many of us are, came to Christ at some point in our life, huh? consciously. What was life like before that? What, was your, what drove your life? What were your milestones? Next question. How and when did you first come to make a decision to trust in the Lord? Have we forgotten our salvation story? Maybe some of us, we came to Christ so long ago, we forgot already. But let me tell you, just last week here in this place, I prayed with somebody who gave his life to Jesus for the first time. Right here. Right? Let's, let's give the Lord a praise offering. No altar call, nothing. He just, they just uh, family waved to me. I went to pray and then he just came to the Lord. Just last week. Next question. How did God transform your life after that point of decision? What were your seasons? Now, I, let, let me suggest that uh, it's important for us to track seasons, right? There are seasons of our life where different, different things happen. Um, because there are seasons where we might feel close to the Lord. You might be in that season now, right? You are on fire for God. There's intimacy. You're walking with Him, serving, all that. But there are also other seasons. Seasons where we are far away from the Lord. There's coldness in our hearts. We don't think that God is near. He doesn't feel near. We are rebelling. We are living in sin. Let me suggest something. Uh, even number five, question five. Okay, you can take the picture now. Question five matters to God also. Even those seasons where we think uh, we're too dirty, too rebellious for God to care about us, those seasons matter to God. This is a spiritual exercise I commend to you. But I told you in a previous sermon, I'm a teacher, right? Teachers love work examples, love to give work examples. Okay, work example is not a model answer. I say again, a work example is not a model answer. This is my work example of my life. First 25 years, and I've segmented it. Okay, it got cut off a bit at the side. Segmented it into five uh, parts. Okay, this helps me to tell you a bit about my story as well. I'll tell you a bit about the first two, okay? Childhood and youth. Okay, so this is my childhood as I went through this process of reflection. Okay, I, I'm blessed that I'm not a second-generation Christian. I'm a fifth-generation Christian. Uh, my, for my mom, her, her two grandfathers were both pastors uh, in the Methodist Church. This was in Malaysia. This was before founding of modern Singapore. Uh, and one was in East Malaysia, one was in West Malaysia, and somehow they met, and that's why things happen. And when I grew up in a family like this, there's a spiritual heritage, spiritual heritage. And I, I, I'm grateful that my parents and grandparents laid a foundation, foundation for me. So if you're today a parent, and maybe your child is in LPUP or in preschool now, you have a really important role to lay spiritual foundations, groundwork. So here's a picture of my family. This is our usual Saturday uh, potluck, uh, celebrating probably my birthday. La. I think it was, because four candles, it looks like it's my birthday. <laughs> but I want you to pay attention to that red coffee table, because after every weekend, uh, every Saturday we had potluck, my granddad would say, okay, all the children kneel around this red coffee table. So th th this photo is very significant for me. And he would name us before God. Naming us. Naming us. 
Do we name our children before the Lord, lifting them to the Lord? And then granddad would go on. Uh, so it was a long prayer, okay? We all kneeling there, but long prayer. He would then pray for the region, Malaysia, for Indonesia and all that, right? He actually taught us how to pray for nations. That was my spiritual heritage. I'm grateful for it. But then you ask me, okay, then when, when did all this become real for you, right? This is, you are four years old. When did it become real for you? When did you really trust the Lord? I guess that happened in a time when I was a youth. Uh, I grew up in the, the Methodist church, and so you, you know, those of you, especially from other church backgrounds, you may know that Methodist church is generally quite traditional, conservative, right? Uh, but at that time, the youth group, all our leaders were influenced by the charismatic megachurches. So there's a lot of teaching about the spirit, about spiritual gifts, and we loved it. And it brought a lot of life to us. Okay, now looking back honestly, uh, probably the theology was a little bit unbalanced. Uh. There was just focus on this one thing. But let me tell you one thing, my friends. The experience of the spirit in that youth group changed my life completely. Because when I knew the spirit was real, acting, God was no longer just a family tradition. You see what changed, what shifted? God was a person that I can talk to. That's my story, you know. So I remember as a 13-year-old, I walked into this room. The youth room was much smaller than anything we have here. Old, old building. Old, dusty, blue carpet. But the youths were jumping up and down. They were praising the Lord. Tears were flowing. Sometimes you hear laughter. And as a 13-year-old, I went from singing Father Abraham had many sons to doing this. Uh, it was, it was mind-blowing, you know, and actually quite intimidating. But I asked myself, either all of these people in this room are mad or they know something that I don't. I chose the latter option. And so in this youth group, that was when I started to learn how to Love God. It's where I started to learn to serve God. My first uh, duty was doing something like what Amy is doing there in the corner. Here we give our, our tech crew a, a round of applause. <laughs> I was the tech crew, okay, but I did lyrics. In those days, lyrics is not pro presenter. It's not PowerPoint. It was plastic transparency. At OHP, if you don't know what that is, the Singapore Museum is a good place to visit, okay? So if the worship leader repeats the chorus five times, then my hands up and down, I'm down five times, huh? Serving. That was my journey. My history, my spiritual history. I hope that inspires you to dig a bit into your own. And as you go through the exercise of spiritual remembrance, I think the Holy Spirit will reveal one thing. He will reveal that actually through all the seasons, even those seasons where God's hand was hidden, where we felt downtrodden, He was always there. Always there. And some of us today, we are at a crossroads in our life. We, we are having trouble navigating the way forward. And if that's you, I really, really encourage you to look at the path that you've already taken, the journey that God has already led you on. 
Because when you can look back in gratitude, you can look forward in faith. Now, as we draw to a close, let me just remind us of the ground that we've covered. We started with this grand canvas of world history in Daniel 11, and we found that God's hand may seem hidden. God's people may be downtrodden, but God remains sovereign. And then we shrunk down the canvas to our own lives, our personal history. I find that, well, maybe sometimes in our life too, God's hand may be hidden. We may be downtrodden or in despair, but we can trace the story of God's faithfulness. We can find our life story in His story. My friends, I want to tell you today that your story matters to God. You know why I believe this? It's not because of you. It's because of what God did for us. You see, our God is the Lord of history. But He can run it from afar, by remote control. He didn't. He came down into our history, your history. He entered into this mess. He didn't have to. There was a mess that was called Palestine. It was under Roman occupation, and in that, our Lord was born. It was a specific time in history, a specific place, historical place. He was born, he lived, he died, he rose again, he ascended to heaven. These are historical facts. Now, when I say historical facts, I mean that even secular historians, non-Christian historians, agree with the facts. Because facts are facts. Now, this is significant because many of us, if we go through life, we are, we are kind of tossed about by our emotion. What we feel can change lah, day to day. But when your, your life is grounded on objective facts, they don't depend on you. Facts of history, they don't depend on you. Jesus' death doesn't depend on you and me. And so it can be an anchor for our faith. Sometimes the world is very confusing. Sometimes we really don't know what is right, what is true, what is good, but we can know this for sure, for sure, that our Lord came into our story. He was born. He lived. He died. He rose again. He ascended to heaven. And because He came into our story, we can live our lives in His story. Shall we just bow in prayer together as we respond to the Lord? I invite the worship team up. I want to give us some time in the moment of quiet here um, and just allow the Lord, all right? Whatever happened in this service this morning, may not be from the sermon even, whatever the Lord has deposited in your heart, receive it again. Receive it. Say, God, I hear you. I'm listening. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Receive it again. I want us to do this together before we sing and respond. Now, some of us feel this. And we just do this together. We, we do this quite often, but I don't want it to get, to get trite. Just take your hand and put it on your heart. We pray for ourselves. Now, some of us are struggling because we feel very insignificant. We feel very powerless. And we wonder if our life really matters to God. 
we wonder if our life really matters to God. And we say, God, if you're there, do you even care? God, do you see me? And today, as not as a pastor, as a, as a fellow brother, but somebody who can represent God to you today, I want to say on behalf of God, I see you. God says, I see you. If you're wondering, do I matter to God? Receive this in your spirit, brothers and sisters. God says, you matter to me. More than you could ever imagine. More than you could ever imagine. Would you receive that in your spirit today? Each one of you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that we are safe in your hands. Sovereign Lord. Shall we just stand together? Stand together. We respond in worship. Respond in adoration. Respond in just trusting the Lord. teaching us, oh God. You're teaching us to trust you. Sing your faithful forever, Lord. Perfect in love you are song. God, you reign, reigning high above the heavens, oh, endless grace. You're the lifter of the Lord. He's so kind to us. Thank you, Lord. Around and you uphold me. Your promises are my delight. Your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. Every hand raised, let's lift up our hands. 
and the flood. Your faithful Lord, faithful Lord, perfect in love, you are sovereign over us. For evil, turn it for our good. You turn it for our good and for your glory. Even in the valley, you are faithful, working for our good. You're working for our good and for your glory. Even what the enemy means for evil. You turn it for our good, yes you do. For our good and for your glory. Even in the valley, you are faithful. You're working for our good. You're working for our good and for your glory. Our plans are still to prosper. Not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. Sing your faithful forever. Perfect in love, you are sovereign over us. You're faithful forever. Perfect in love. Sovereign over us. Sovereign over us. You just keep your hands raised as I pronounce the benediction over us. Today's benediction is a pastoral prayer from Colossians 1. And it's adapted from the message version. This prayer goes, Lord, as we learn more and more how you work, Lord, teach us how to live and work. Grant us the strength to stick it out over the long haul. Not the grim strength of gritting our teeth, but the glory strength that you give. Give us the strength that endures the unendurable, the strength that spills over into joy. Help us to look to you in gratitude because you make us strong enough to walk the journey you have prepared for us. You make us strong enough to walk the journey you have prepared for us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're glad you had spent some time listening to God's Word, and we hope that the message has ministered to you. You can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.